Hi, welcome to the Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Goldie. Are you worried about becoming a civilian again? Have you just separated from defence or emergency services and want to minimise the stress during transition? Then this podcast is for you. We interview people just like you that are doing fine. No flyers here. These are everyday people like you who have just stepped out of uniform at some point. Our guests are candid about what they did and what worked for them. I'll bet there's some gold nuggets in there for you to model off and make your transition smoother than that might be. So let's cross live to the studio and hear today's guest. G'day, everyone, and let's welcome Brendan to the show. G'day, Brendan. Uh, hello, Travis. How are you? Good, mate. It's good. So we've known each other for a little while now. A few years. A couple of years. Yeah. Been on a few shenanigans together in yeah. the in other worlds. Been good fun. Um, so let's get straight to that first question everyone loves. If you could tell somebody discharging or transitioning one sentence, what would it be? Don't panic. Like Hitchhiker's Guide, don't panic? Yeah, don't, don't panic. Um, it's it's different experience for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate. Um, I had family. My family had been through it. Um, so I come from a long line of soldiers. So they knew what was going to happen to me. So I, I was lucky. I, I had all the support that I needed um, all the way through um, to where I didn't need that support anymore. I could stand on my own two feet. So, yeah. yeah. And you didn't get out yesterday. You got out. Almost 40 years ago. Wow. Right? Almost 40 <laughs> years ago. Yep. So I joined when I left school. Um, didn't even have a driver's licence. Yeah. Uh, really didn't have a girlfriend. So it was and it was something I always wanted to do. Like I said, I came from a long line of soldiers. Uh, was it a mistake? It was a mistake uh, joining early. Yeah. I was warned against that. My father warned me. He said, don't do it. Don't do a couple do of years it. first. To see a bit of life first and then uh, do it. Um, but I ignored that and, I, look, I paid the price. I yep. paid the price of that. And like I said, it was 40 years ago and I purposely forget, wanted to forget a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good experiences for me. But, you know, certain things I did miss. I, I, I missed the camaraderie, the, the mateship and, and, and things like that. And I found that hard yep. coming out. And that's why I joined a lot of teams um, and things like that. And that's why gel ball now is, yep. is, is good. It was good. I, I enjoy the, the camaraderie. So you got out sort of pre-2000, pre-Timor, pre-all that. Yeah. Um, so what, what can you remember of the discharge process back then? Was there support and preparation? and? Not really. Nothing. That was in the 80s. So we're yep. talking late late 80s. Yeah. So um, th- there was nothing. They basically said, look, uh, you're getting out next month, next week, next year. Bye. Um, <laughs> Bye. You know, um, if you need any help, um, yeah, here's a number you can call or whatever. Yep. Um, but not as it is today yep. where you've got all that support. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so there was nothing. So, look, as I said, I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones that I had support anyway there. Um, but I know of people that didn't and they're no longer with us. They, uh, they yep. paid the penalties. So... Um, of not having that support and made it hard transitioning back yep. to a normal life. So the best thing you had access to was that family circle. Yeah, the family circle, uh, the biggest thing for me. Yep. You know, like my father was in the army in the 50s. He'd gone through it. 
Um, I never knew my grandfather, who's in World War One as a stretcher bearer, but um, what mum knew of that transition of, of him, him and never speaking of his experiences, yeah. but knew how hard it was for him. She knew some of the things on, on what to do and, and things like that. I had uncles that had come and gone in the army as well. So, yeah, I, I was lucky. I had those people around me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the emotional support was key for you. Yeah, very much so, very yeah. much so. Um, everyone's different. Everyone's a sort of different person. For me, I'm, I'm a loner. I, I always have been. Uh, I prefer my own company mm. a lot of the times, and that's what made it hard for me in the forces, that, that I was that person that, that you know, I, I found it um, – I didn't find it hard to make friends or, or mates and things like that, but I preferred my own company. My, yeah, my own company. And when I came out, that was easy for me because I, hey, well, you know, I'm by myself. Or I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Big deal, you know. I'm by myself. But if I need someone to talk to, if I need that support, I had that family around me. So, and I'm an only child. So I've got no brothers or sisters. So um, I was used to having to fend for myself and do things like that. So. Yeah. So I would say in your mind um, you didn't identify straight away as I'm a retired soldier. No. I, I immediately thought that, hey, I'm a civilian again, I'm back to normal. For me I was being coming back to normal, yep. normality. Um, so uh, when someone says, oh, you're a retired soldier or ex-services. Or veteran. Or, or veteran. Oh, no, that's not, no, it's <laughs> yeah. not me. I just um, – it's a, a part of my life I went through. Mm. Uh, it wasn't enjoyable. Like I said, I purposely forgot. I wanted to forget yep. uh, those six or seven years of my life. Yep. And there's parts of it I do remember, and but it's only the parts that I want to remember. Mm. Um, at night, you know, sometimes at, at, at night I'll, I'll dream about those stuff that I don't want to yep. think about. And – I'll wake up and my wife will say, well, what are you doing? Because my hands, yep. my hands will be moving, doing breaking weapons down drills. weapons or it'd be doing this. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm actually pulling the trigger yep. you know, and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's subconscious stuff there and, and things like that. And, and, again, like I said, everyone's different. Like uh, my grandfather, he purposely didn't mention stuff. He yep. forgot stuff. My father, it was exactly the same. In the fifties, I found it easy f for me to block stuff away, put away, and just it just disappears. Yeah, um, you know, you could ask me stuff. You know, oh, what did you do? Um, you know, in, in this particular situation or whatever, and I couldn't tell you. But if I'd put in the situation, like I, I think to myself, how do I know how to move like that, or how do I know that abbreviation? I think I mentioned to you the other day. I said you yeah. say something. How do I know that abbreviation? I know that word. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and so, like. Um, I first met you as a player in a sport and probably you'd played three or four times and I walked up to you and said, hey, do you want a ref? Um, because there is something that you see in people that have – and 40 years ago, that, it's not yesterday. Yeah. And you've done so much with your life since then. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with that. Um, but there's still a, a subconscious influence on your life, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, look, it is. It'll never, it'll never go away. So it's with you for the rest of your life. It's a part of your, part of your life. Yeah. But – I made the choice to forget certain parts of that. And, um, you know, specialists or doctors or psychologists have said, look, some people have that ability yep. to do and uh, you'll never remember that ever again, you know, mm. but you might dream about it. Yeah. So. I was doing the pre-interview with uh, a lass that's going to be on soon. I'm not going to talk about the details, but 
um, she certainly talks about repressed memories coming up um, many years later. And it's, it's interesting because hers were very, very traumatic. Um, so I'll save that for her episode, but yeah. Um, in terms of camaraderie, how did you, f- did you have a really tribal primal feeling about leaving your tribe when you left defense? Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. I did that. That was the biggest thing for me of almost like leaving that blanket. It was like a, a snuggy blanket around yeah. you of, of that, of that help and, uh, your mates around you and, and knowing someone's got your back yeah. and things like that. That was, if anything, if I said something that was hard, that was the hardest. And that's what, what attracted me to teams, team sport again. Yeah. So I got back into, into team sport, into contact sport. You've had a lot to do with AFL, was it? Or hockey? Uh, gridiron. Gridiron. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I played uh, played gridiron, um, which helped because it got a lot of aggressive stuff. Yeah. It was aggressive team, team sport. Yeah. And it suited me down to the ground. And I played into my thirties, and until um, I got too old to yeah. to do that anymore. So. Yeah. So it sounds like you've dealt fairly well with um, the leaving of the tribe, and and you don't pine for those days at all. No, I don't. I, I don't. Um, again, yeah, I, I was fortunate. I, I fell on my feet. Um, I was directed in the right directions. I had the people to help me out and say, "Try this." Now try this sport, try this group, um, and yeah, I, I've been lucky. Mm. That's all I can say is that I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I fell on my feet, and it's worked well out. You know, it's worked well for me. I've ended up with a career. Um, so we've talked a little bit about what was easy. I'm guessing there was some stuff that was hard. Yeah, look, the the, the hard stuff was. Happened early on, um, of the the dreams of, like I said, you know, sometimes you wake up doing stuff with your hands, and yeah. little stuff will wake you up, and things like that. Not not nightmares as such. You know, I was fortunate not to have nightmares, but, but grieving for what could have been. Yeah, yeah. The um, loss of a career can have its own grief. Yeah. So, you know, walking away or having to leave, you know, a group of good friends that you made. Um, and you know those enjoyable times that I had, that that was hard. And then you're searching for that feeling again. Yeah, yep. that's the hardest thing is to find that feeling again. Mm. And who's going to make that happen? Is that going to be a team? Is it going to be an individual? Is it marriage? Well, what is yep. the thing? So, what did you do career-wise? Did you flounder for a bit, or did what did you do straight after getting out? Okay, so I was a kid when I joined. You know, I was in my um, you know, mid twenties when, when when I got out. Um, fortunately, my father, he was already a a safety inspector, a government safety inspector, and um, I found I had an aptitude for that sort of stuff. And he said, well, "Why don't you take it further?" So I ended up, you know, getting a diploma, and and, and I got a break with a business. Who, who allowed me to come in as a safety manager and uh, here I am 33 years down the track of being a safety professional. Yep. And so I turned it into a career early on. You know, I, I tried things as, oh, do you want to be a mechanic? You know? Yeah. And, but no, I didn't like my hands getting dirty too much. <laughs> yeah, so I, can't, I can't picture you as a great one. No, no. So, 
Um, that didn't work out. Um, you know, I even worked in a you know a nursery doing stuff for that. So there's different things that I that I tried and and it worked in different areas till I found something that clicked, mm-hmm. and I found I had aptitude with, and yeah, one thing after the other, I just one foot after the other, just developed on that and haven't looked back. I've been lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I would classify you deep down as an introvert that can switch a switch tell me about it yeah yeah Yeah. is that something that um the army gave you that you took into further careers yeah yeah so um i am in not a classic introvert where you know you're in in your shell but i am introvert but i had to become an extrovert within the fence and even more so when I left defence, mm. because I'm talking in front of, you know, a hundred people, and I had to get used to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid anymore. I'm uncomfortable, and talking in front of people, mm. right? Even talking one on one with people, I can be uncomfortable, but I do it. It's it's easier for mm. me now than it used to be because I've had to do it, and over the years I've become better at it. Um, what are the things that empower you now? That empower me, um, probably my knowledge and experience that I've had that you can lean on that that I can lean off. Yeah, look, I've done that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm mid fifties now, so I'm fifty. Next month, I'm fifty six. Yep. Next month, fifty seven. I think. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It's one of the two. So, if I look back to that kid who joined the army when he was seventeen or eighteen. And everything that's happened from there, uh, a lot of a lot of water has yep. passed under that bridge, you know, and a lot of experiences that I've got that um, I pass on to my counterparts at work, mm-hmm. um, that I pass on, I try to pass on to my son. Um, and, and you've got one son currently at the academy. He's going to be joining, yeah, Defence Force Academy to become a uh, electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to tell him those things that I learnt. But that's like, again, it's like telling me when I was his age, hey, don't do this, don't do that. So. Um, we've obviously talked about being able to switch that thing on in public speak. It, apparently that's one of the biggest fears worldwide is public speaking. So I think we've covered that. But what was a skill that Defence gave you that you were surprised about? Being self-sufficient, like being able to uh, fold your shirts Make your bed. Because like I said, I was an only child. Mm. Mum did everything for me. She mm. made my bed, washed my clothes, folded my shirts, ironed everything yep. and all that. And I, and I learned to do that. Mm. And I needed to learn to do that. Yep. And um, so that is the biggest thing, to be able to look after yourself, to be have that confidence yep. to be able to do that. And that helped me when I did leave. Because I didn't have to go run home to mum and dad and say, oh, mm. I'm, going, I'm going to live with you. Oh, can you do all this stuff for yep. me? I was able to go and live by myself yep. and do my own thing and know, and mum and dad knew, that oh, look, he's okay, he can look after himself. Yep. It, it's funny that you say that. I, I was an instructor in the army at one point and people think that when you get to Kapurki you're going to be treated a certain way and it's a bit childish. But I have had recruits couldn't tie their shoelaces mm. we were literally teaching people how to shave their face they'd yep. never shaved before or they'd never done this they'd never done that um and whilst 
uh, Air Force and Navy treat their trainers slightly differently to that. Um, yeah, you, you are teaching people from the basics how to live. Yeah. And that yeah. carries through. Yeah, and, and, look, and it's a damn good skill to have. Damn good skill. Yeah. Um, there's a great speech from uh, an admiral that was retiring about get up and make your bed. Um, so from the military, do you struggle with any physical injuries? Um, knees, shoulders, back, ankles. A lot of that has come from just have, humping that heavy weight stuff. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it's come from contact sport and yeah. things like that. In defence and out of defence as well. Like, yeah, I'm a big bloke. So, of course, I was going to be lumbered with the M60. What are you, 6'2"? S- just over six foot. Yeah. Right? So, I always got lumbered with the pig. Right? Carry that around. Right? Plus ammo. Plus, you know, four canteens of water. Plus all your webbing. All your gear. And that takes a toll. Yeah. It takes a toll. And then, you know, year after year you're doing that. Walk X amount of kilometres, mm-hmm. and then you come out, and then you play contact sport, and then this gets sprained, and that gets sprained easier, right? Because they're already weak. Yeah. Yep. So, but having said that, it's nothing that prevents me from doing anything. I haven't had to do operations, or I haven't had to go to specialists and say, "Look, listen, oh, this has hurt me," and and you know because of what I've done, you know, twenty years ago or forty years ago, uh, no. Have, have you ever thought about walking down the road and going to DVA and saying, hey, some of these injuries were caused no. back then? No, well, that's you, not me. You don't want to no. at all? No. Okay. And that's fine. Some people don't. No. Um, what did you uh, – what do you do to keep going? Like what motivates you now? A lot of people feel like um, being in defence, you are motivated by others. What what internally drives you? Um. Good question. Good question. Why do I get mm. up in the morning? Mm. You know, um, I don't have to. Um, I guess the thing that motivates me the most is my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm married again. This is my second marriage. Um, I have an 18-year-old boy who's about to turn 18 next month. Um, and you know, I have a, a couple of beautiful grandkids um, from my stepkids. And... I guess that's the motivator for me is to keep going, to keep healthy, to keep um, not to wallow. For their future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because it's easy to become – I'm not a person who slumps into depression. I never have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know a lot about it. My wife's gone through it. My mother went through it. It hasn't affected me. I've been fortunate. Um, but, yeah, I've been lucky that way. Mm. Again, you know, I've fallen on my feet where that hasn't affected me. But, yeah, I, I do go through those thoughts of being, yep. oh, God, you know. Yep. And you feel like crawling, crawling up in a ball and, and you know, brushed a day away. And, I can absolutely know. empathise there. Yep. I can hear people a thousand kilometres away nodding their heads in the background of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, uh, look, it's it's not nice, but yeah, look, I, again, I've been fortunate; it hasn't affected me deeply. But yeah, look, I've been through it to some some sort of degree. But I didn't ask before, but is relevant. Is did you transition straight from the regular army to civilian street, or did you consider reserves? Um, I didn't 
join the reserve. I did join the reserves, but it wasn't until probably eighteen months down the track. Mm-hmm. And that I wanted that break mm-hmm. from it, um, and I think we mentioned about that missing missing stuff, yep. the cam- camaraderie and stuff like that. So um, I ended up uh, joining the army reserves. Fortunately, the barracks was just around the <laughs> around the corner from uh, from home. Um, and you could walk there. And I, could, I could walk there, walk there, walk home. It, it was it was great, and um, that helped. That helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it was the people that were in that 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 helped. That yeah, that they, they, they're all great about having you know someone who'd been through the system and and to help other guys that that hadn't that mm. just come into the reserves and things like that. But it helped me be able to. Um, uh, Give that knowledge mm. that that I'd gained in that time, um, and also just to start getting that that green machine out of your system. Yeah, you know? um, I, I find a lot of people I talk to say that the reserves made it easier to let go because you could do what you, as much or as little as you wanted exactly. in terms of reserve work. And if you didn't want to go in, you didn't go in. And if you didn't feel like there was a purpose to it. You're like, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, I've got a uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's spot on. You didn't have to go if you didn't want to. Um, I purposely avoided um, assemblies where it was about speeches and marching and classroom and all that. But I love the field work. Yeah. So they'd go at field for the weekend or whatever. I'd be there. Yeah. You know, I, you know, there's certain. You know, you'd have to attend certain things and. and like that, but I was yeah. over the parade stuff and, and, and things like that. That's yeah, that was gone, <laughs> and now you know, you know I, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine standing on parade for three hours now, waiting for some general to rock up and talk for 20 minutes while you're standing there going, This is fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Who's yeah. this? Who's this really about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, look, uh, uh, that did help a lot. I, I will, I will say mm. that that helped a lot, and uh, and that also came to its natural end as well. Where, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've had enough. Yeah. Know, time to do other stuff on my weekends. So here's the the weird question. Um, if you were given the opportunity to join tomorrow at rank and seniority, would you? No. If World War Three started, would you? Uh, it depends on the involvement of my country. Yep. If my country called, I'd be there. Yep. All right. Um, but to go and fight someone else's wars? No. Not interested. No. What would you call the highlight of your post-separation career? Um, the highlight is that I made a career. I made a career as a professional mm-hmm. for 30-odd years. And, and you went from being a digger to being a manager. Yep. How did you find that transition? Um, and did it – was there something that being a digger taught you that no classroom ever could? Yeah, look, the, the teaching of working together as a team, as a group, of being self-sufficient, um, how to uh, talk to people at different levels so they understand, because not everyone has the same understanding mm. of, of, and whatever that may be, maybe their education, maybe their, uh, where they're from, mm. the world, whatever, and... Um, that was the biggest help for me is that that's what it taught me and helped me when I became a manager is 
you already know how to do that stuff. I already know how to talk to people. I already know mm. how to talk at different levels from the, the CEO down to the, you know, the, the apprentice. I know how to um, pat them on the back. I know, to, know how to kick them in the ass when they need it as well. Yeah, because yeah, it's very different how you talk to um, a tradesman that's got his hands in a toolbox to a guy in a boardroom. Oh, certainly. Even down to the way how you dress. Mm. How you dress. All right. So I, I never – and. I never wear um, a, tie. A, a tie or a suit, right, when I'm out in the field or when I'm going to operational, talk to those guys, because all they see, doesn't matter it's who you suit. are, all they see is the suits, right? So, plus it's not practical, mm. right? It's no, not practical. Not at all. So, um, you know, I wear normal work gear and, and high-vis stuff where required and things like that. And uh, in my office, I do the same thing. Mm. Yeah, if we've got CEO coming down and... He's holding a meeting and all that. Yeah, I will, will dress appropriately. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my brother worked in the mines. He was a carpenter and he, he always used to talk about the stay cleans. Yeah, yeah, the shiny bums. Yeah. 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 Um, have you ever considered uh, running your own business? I did. You did? I did for – yeah, I, I read my own safety consultancy for how long? A couple of years. Yep. Right, for a couple of years. Um, it was good money, very good money, but a lonely existence. Yeah. Right, because it was just me, um, my wife doing the books and, and things like that. And everyone else was a customer. Yeah, everyone else was a customer. So you didn't have that interaction of going into the office and yep. talking to people and things like that. Yep. That's what made it hard for me, mm-hmm. right, and that's why I gave it away. So... Yeah, I was I was good at it and I was successful, but mentally, it yep. didn't work for me. So, um, you know, I I got some good offers to yep. come work from, and one thing led to another. If um, you were going to talk to somebody that was transitioning now, that for example is in the safety world, and let's not specifically talk about that, but uh, would you say go and work for a boss or have a crack at your own business? And if they were to have a crack, what? What would your your uh, nuggets be? Nuggets be, yeah. Look, um, everyone's different. Like, I'd certainly recommend having your own business, having a go at it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, from experience, you know, it's it's good. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You, mm. you can always go and work for a boss. Um, the things to look out for in having your own business is. Um, You've got to be a jack of all trades. You've got to be able to sell. You've got to be able to uh, produce. You've got to be able to make phone calls, take phone calls, all those sorts of things. And not everyone's good at that. Mm. And as I said to you, like a um, bit of an introvert, and I found it difficult early on making those phone calls yeah. out of the blue yeah. to people to, to get a shoe in. You know, um, that's not easy mm. and you've got to teach yourself to be able to do that. And, and they're not skills that you can grab from police or ambulance or those like how to market, how to sell yourself, yep. how to upsell. They're all very unnatural for people from a serving back. Like, and when I say serving, I'm not talking defence. It's I want to be of service to the nation. Yep, yep. And, and they are learned skills. Mm. Right? They are learned skills. Um and it takes time. So mm-hmm. if anything, one thing I would say, if 
someone who wants to go in their own business is be patient. Mm-hmm. Just be patient with yourself. One of the hardest lessons I learned um, running a small business as it grew was letting go of some of those hats yeah. and letting other people wear that hat entirely without me micromanaging them. Yeah, it's very hard. It's hard. Look, I did have um, early on one employee that was the same level as me consulting and, and, and things like that. And you get to the point of saying, oh, is he, is he doing what I would do? But mm. everyone's different. And yeah. as long as they achieve the goal you want, doesn't matter how they get there, as mm. long as they achieve the goal that, that you're after, and you just need to understand that, that everyone works slightly differently to how you do yourself. Um, and letting go of those reins sometimes can be hard. Look, I, I struggle with it now, um, absolutely. Ask my uh, executive assistant and she will tell you that I need to let go of the reins. <laughs> um, and and I'm, I hate saying that I've got a PA, um, but in the same vein, um, she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And she won't let me say that. <laughs> uh, well, you need these people around you, I think. Absolutely. I, I think the key to being good in business is surrounding yourself with people that are better than you at what you employ them to do. Yep. When, yep. when I wanted to go from wholesale into retail for a business that I own, I got somebody with 20 years of retail experience that's also a veteran and I went, you run that department. You come to me when you've got problems that are insurmountable and just solve things. And if you meet these KPIs, I don't want to hear from you. Um, whereas in some other department, it was, it was hard to do that because it, I didn't recruit that person to be the job they ended up being in. I, I brought Ben in to do logistics and he ended up doing all this other stuff, but I wanted Ben for his logistics experience and, and that sort of stuff's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. If you can find people that are, that are multifaceted, mm. that are multi-talented, that can multitask, yep. you know, and I can't. I, mm. I'm not a multitasker. Right? Um, females are very good at that. So all you females out there, uh, kudos. But, um, yeah, uh, multitasking is very hard. I find it hard. I only can concentrate on one thing at a time. Yep. And I also don't um, see things in, in grey. They're either black and white for yep. me. It's either black or white. There's no in between. Has that come from military or yeah. safety thinking? No, that's that's. I put that down to come from military. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no in between, and that gets me in a lot of arguments, especially with my wife. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it either is or it isn't. Do or don't. Yeah. It was it the same with the kids as they were growing up. Yep. Yeah. So that's so. You either do or you don't. If you don't, these are the consequences. If you do, good on you. Mm. Right, so, Have you got any advice for teenagers, for um, parents with military experience? Um, treat them like a recruit. <laughs> don't treat them like a recruit. Um, or police or fire. Yeah. Like, yeah. Look, I, I don't want to generalise and say military. Yeah. As a – being a son of a soldier um, – can be hard, d- depending on that parent's experience mm. and where they're at in their life as well yep. um, and what they did or what they didn't do, what they felt they missed out on or, or whatever it may be because it can affect them mm. um, and that can lead into their personal lives and, and things like that. And just 
as a teenager or as a child is you just need to remember that any anger and things like is not necessarily targeted at you. It's mm. a lot of the anger is targeted inwards. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you hurt those that are closest to you. Yeah. And um, again, you just got to give them some slack. Yeah. Be patient um, because they won't always be like that. Mm. And as you get older, you're not always going to be like that. Yeah. And as I said to as I say to my son is. Um, when we're getting into an argument, I said, you don't realise um, what you've got until it's gone. Yeah. You know, um, and I have a lot of regrets. Now, my, both my parents are gone and um, there's lots of things that I wish oh, I hadn't done or I hadn't said over the course of my life to them. Mm. Um, and you can't get that back. So you just need to remember that. Hey, yeah. Um, I know some of my family listens to this, so I, I have a terrible relationship with my father. Um, I never really connected with him growing up the way my brothers did because I wasn't interested in what he was doing. I just saw him as this really angry man um, and I, I just couldn't connect to him. Um, and still to this day, we're, like we're estranged now, but he served in the CMF way back in the day and he took on some of those behaviours uh, to the nth degree. And I grew up going, well, this is what somebody that serves for five minutes is like. Well, that's what the army's going to be like. And then when I joined the army, it was nothing like mm. that. Yeah. It's individual experiences. Mm. And, and, that. and um, we're all different. We all yep. have different makeups on how we handle it. Um, have you ever had a side hustle? A side hustle? Like an eBay or a website? Or, yes. Yep. Yeah. So my passion is I collect World War II Soviet medals, mm -hmm. right, Russian medals, because they can be researched. They're, they're numbered. They're all numbered. And so you can actually get um, go the, from the Russian archives what they were for, what they were awarded for, who they were awarded for and all that. So I did have, actually have a website um, that used to sell all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I haven't got that anymore, but I still am a collector, I have a collector. Um, I do sell now and again, mm -hmm. um, not as much, not as heavily as what I used to. So that was my side hustle on eBay yep. and things like that. Cause it's a, a small click in mm. the world, um, small community. And, um, yes. I've got to be careful what I say because my wife doesn't know I have a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of expensive yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, the Americans would say, and I'm quoting Pat Flynn here, the riches are in the niches. Um, but we say niche, not niche. Yeah. So yeah. Um, when I looked at the businesses that I've run over time, I've tried to be in that tiny, tiny little thing that is 20 feet deep. Um, and military collecting is one of the – don't just go, I'm a military collector. Go – I collect stuff from Korea on the North Korean side. Yeah. Be different to everyone else. That's right. That's right. And uh, going back to that, North Korean medals, you know, I've got them. They're Have you? Yeah. They're as rare as hen's teeth mm -hmm. get, get hold of. Some are, some aren't. And that, Not and nowadays. They wear more medals than you can put on that's your That's right. They go down onto their pants, yeah. I've seen in some pictures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's you're right. The niche sort of thing, if mm. you want to – have a side hustle, you find out, you know, what what you're interested in, mm. or what you like or what you collect and then turn it into a business, Yeah, a little business and that's what I did. 
Did you find that having a hobby that became a business meant you no longer had a hobby or you created oh, a different hobby? Man, <laughs> you know, I wanted to keep everything. That's that's the hardest thing. Yeah. The things that, 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 that you you want you want to turn into a business, um, but businesses don't just buy, they sell. They sell, you know, you know, oh, I've got this one here, it's 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 really cool and I've got all the research and it was for Stalingrad and and all this and all that. But if I sell that, that's like a six hundred dollar US set up metal that I can get rid of, mm. but I haven't got that one in my collection. I should <laughs> keep that. And, you know, so... Yeah, that I'm can, not a museum, yeah, but I want to be. That can easily, easily happen. Um, so I learned the hard way around that. I had, like, I had a lot of money st- stuck in, you know, boxes and drawers um, that I just liquidated because... You're not enjoying it. It was stupid, yeah. yeah. And, and if you haven't got it on display, you haven't got it on a wall, you're not sharing That's it right. with other people. Yeah. It's a bit dry. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, yeah, it's an easy trap to fall into. Um, any advice for somebody just getting out of defence that are going, oh, well, I've got this idea. Um, where would you send them to learn? Um, first of all, if you've got the idea, is run with it. Like, don't don't think, oh, this is not going to work. Well, it's not going to work if you don't have a go at it. Yep. You've got to be able to, you know, think it through Put a business plan together and have a go at it. Mm. Like, who do you talk to? Well, there's a lot of small entrepreneurial advice places mm. uh, within Queensland, yep. uh, within Australia, that, that, that give advice. Um, but, yeah, like, if anyone in Brisbane, yeah, happy to hit me up. Mm. Travis, I'm sure, will help out. Things like that. But the biggest thing is, yeah, don't think that it will never work yep. because it won't if you don't give it a go. Yeah. I'm really interested in my next little hobby, not my side hustle, to be teaching other veterans how to podcast um, because I've learned a lot of the heart. Like it mightn't sound like it now to people at home that are hearing this podcast, but I've got another one and the first year of that was terrible. I listen to that now and I just go, oh my, you can hear birds in the background and the me farting. Uh, it was just absolutely amateur hour. Um, and that's what I say to people is you're not going to be an expert instantly. When you joined the, the whatever it was you joined, when you joined as a paramedic, you weren't on the road the next day on an emergency shift. There's this massive learning process and training and mentoring and don't forget the mentoring. Yeah. Find a mentor. Yeah. It's the same, same thing with business. Yep. It's a long process to get to the top. And uh, my wife, is, she's got a business now with eBay of books. Yep. She buys and sells books, novels and yep. things like that. And she gets disconcerted and upset that, oh, look, I haven't sold anything for this week or whatever. And I said, you've only just started. Give mm. us, be patient. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's starting picking up. Sold two today, two packages today. Yep. Three packages today, nothing tomorrow, but then the day after, like that. So it gradually does, but you just got to stick with it. And especially in COVID times, um, people are going to be less frugal. Oh, sorry, more frugal. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to spend money because they don't know when you know mm. their business is going to go bust or if they're going to be without a job or things like that. So mm. yeah, it's it's uh, those these times are tough where people don't want to get rid of their money too readily. Yeah. Um, the other piece of advice that I learned is um, the first couple of businesses I had were a business that was me. Um, so without me there, 
every hour, every five seconds doing something. The business didn't exist without me being part of that brand. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk, it, it, I was a tour guide and I ran the tour company. There is no way that I could have put a different person into the seat of the tour bus or the lead vehicle on tag along tours and people would have bought that trip. Um, they were buying me. Yeah, so yeah. if you think about the businesses that you run, if you want to run more and have more things going on, you can be less intrinsic to that. Would you agree? Yeah, look, I, I would. I would agree. Um, you're right that you, know, you are the business. Mm. You make it. You could be selling widgets or whatever, yeah. but the person behind that, Right, the face behind that. Mm. If you're big and bold and 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 are a good seller and and or you've developed into that seller, they want the interaction with you. Yeah, you know they want that, and mm. it can be five cents more, fifty cents more. It can be a hundred dollars more. Mm. Right? Even the business I work in now, you know, we could be thousands of dollars more. Because but they want you. They want your business. Yeah. Right. They want you to do their work. And that can be a double-edged sword too, can't it? Because you've only – if you think of yourself as a lawyer, you've got eight hours of the day. You can't bill eight hours. If you're a mechanic, you can be swinging spanners for so much, but you're going to also be going and getting parts and ringing people. And so you're not a 1,000% productive. So if you tie your income to your hours, you, you, you locked yourself in a barrel. Yeah, you can't. It well, can't. Otherwise, you know, you could be working sixteen hours a day. Mm. How do you charge that yeah. out? It's not. It's just part of maintaining yep. the business. But one of my side hustles now is I own a tractor, and it goes out and does slashing. I don't charge an hourly rate. I do contracts, because um, the thing that I learned in the army was job and finish. When you get to the end of the job, it doesn't matter whether you, if you're more efficient, you should be rewarded for being more efficient not lose an hour's wages because you did it quicker than the other guy that would yeah. pay. Yeah. Um, and it, it's taken a while to teach my clients that. But they go, you're going to do the same job and you're only going to disturb my site for a couple of hours and then you'll be gone, not creating noise and dust and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, that is my advice to people is don't price yourself on hours, price yourself on a product or a project. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, sp spot on, spot mm. on. Couldn't agree more. Um, any other income streams that you've created that you, you're comfortable talking about? Not everyone is. <laughs> I haven't got any dodgy ones if that's what you're asking. <laughs> no. you know, um, Bitcoin or anything silly, crazy. No, look, my son's son's tried to get me into to the uh, that sort of stuff, and um, I've given him you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever to invest for me, and I haven't lost it. You can so, pump that. Yeah, <laughs> so I haven't lost it, but. Um, you know, I've tried shares and, and things like that that have – you've got to know what you're doing with that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I prefer the physical stuff that you can see, like I said, the medals, the books, uh, the yeah. whatever, that is easy to stick in the post office box and away it goes. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, look, I, I really haven't you know, tried anything – other, because I haven't haven't had to, mm. really. Um, one of the things that I've been playing with for about 12 months is Amazon affiliate links. Um, and in the other thing that you and I are both involved in, 
I can say to people, this is the product that I bought off Amazon and this is what I think about it. Um, it helps me in these ways and it's shit in those ways. I can do a review on it and they go, eh, yeah, I wouldn't mind buying that. I don't have to stock it. I don't have to count it. I don't have to do anything. I just put a link on that website and go, that's a thing, go and buy it. Um, and that's something I might do to fund this podcast is go, well, here's a course on uh, entrepreneurship from Platt Flynn or here's Adam Hudson doing blah, blah, blah and I can put a link there and I get 10 cents every time somebody clicks on it or whatever but um, you don't have to think about you, – you want passive income yeah. in my mind. Her passive income is is the best income Yeah, where you don't have to put any work into it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not as rich – but it, you can create more because it doesn't involve that time we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's right. So when I had my website and I was selling, as I said, military medals and things like that, I used to have those, yeah, those adverts. And, and when you'd Google Google it, I'd be one of the first ones that'd come up, you know, mm. things like that. And there'd be links to other to other websites or whatever. Mm. And if you click on that, I'd get X many cents or, or whatever it is. Mm. But it builds up. So if you look at it, if you look you at, go to the end of the week it, and go, oh, that's thirty bucks. Yeah. So or at the end of the year, from nowhere. there's a thousand dollars at the end of the year you never had, and yet mm. and you didn't have to do a thing. Mm. Except put the link in on your website or on, on your page or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a mate that's in the in the travel industry, and he's like, oh, I don't really want to put affiliate links on my stuff. I said, is it something that you have bought and do use now? And he's like, yeah. Well, why not? If people want the product that you like. Why shouldn't you get ten cents from them spending two hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't hurt anyone as long as you're honest up front about it and go, "This is an affiliate link. This is not my product, but I have one." It, it can't be something that you've never touched, in my opinion. Yeah, I've always thought it was been a good idea. So mm. I used to use it myself. Mm. So um, it, it works. Passive income, you know, that's just one way of getting passive income. Um, is the best income. Yeah. Um. All right, I, th- I think we're going to finish her up there. Right. And so uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. No problems. And now I'm going to do that really unnatural thing for me and I'm going to pimp uh, Patreon. Um, so for those of you at home, um, I do this podcast out of the love of my heart at the moment. Um, I do have Patreon and PayPal. If you want to support this podcast uh, and keep the ads off it and keep the affiliate links out of it and all that snot, um, and keep the content as it is, considering supporting us on Patreon. Good stuff. Cool. This has been the Veterans Podcast, and I've been Tractor and you've been... Brendan. Thanks for being on board. Thanks, mate.